house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. Thinks it's Jesus Christ come down off the cross. It's up to you to nail up any bastard just between you and the roads and the bridges and the schools and the food you need. You give me the hammer and I'll do it. Nail them up! Nail them up! Nail them up! Tell you what I see. I see a man that had the guts to buck the powers to beat. I see Mr. Stark. Next governor of the great state of Louisiana. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast living by night and dying by Sienna Miller's scheming. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Chris File, and I'm here as always with my choice for governor, Joe Reed. Hello, I am here to recruit you. No, they, that's the wrong, that's the wrong Sean Penn <laughs> political rabble rouser. I did write that down when I was watching this. I was like, he's going through, it's a lot, it, it feels in some ways like training wheels for Harvey Milk, like his gesticulations seem sort of similar. They're much bigger in this one, weirdly, than they are You could say that, it might be generous <laughs> to just simply call it bigger. Um, <laughs> he's so he plays those like uh, those speech scenes. I I wrote down. Did you ever see the uh, the Wanda Sykes stand up special right after Obama got elected in '08, where she's talking about how the media wants Michelle Obama to act, and she's just like, "Here's what they want," and she starts just sort of like waving her arms around and like hands on her hips and like classic like big loud like sassy whatever. Uh-huh. Um, that's what Sean Penn looks like in this movie. It's just like arms just gesticulating wildly and just like he can't it's it's very scowling. It's very very uh, you can um you can see the syllables rolling around in his mouth. He is so um Well, yeah, the the accents are the other thing across the board in this film. Truly <sighs> a, a real adventure. I oh, mean like boy. yes, uh uh the uh, nightmarish poeticism of Sean Penn's uh, southern dialect in this movie uh, is a roller coaster. It's not even the worst one, too. Like, it, like, kind of by far. There are people, like, are you talking about James Gandolfini's Mississippi by way I of am. Jersey? Okay, I am talking about James Gandolfini. I'm also talking about Jude Law, who is just not up for this whatsoever, and like. To the point where, like, Kate Winslet, whose, like, American accent is usually pretty good, except for when it, like, tries to do something. And I was very worried about her in this one, but just, like, she is the least of this movie's problems. She doesn't have anything to do, and I'm kind of mystified why she signed on to this movie, to begin with. Yeah, like, she's the least of the movie's problems, but the movie is the most of her problems. It's... Yes! Yes! That's a very good way to put it. Like, they stage her in this movie like she's a ghost. It's... Yes, 
Right. If by the end of the movie, you all of a sudden got the reveal that like she had died 30 years before this movie started, you were just like, yeah, okay. Yeah, that tracks. Yep, of course. It makes complete sense. She died when they were kids. Over like the middle of a dining table that she and why why was that ends of I'm like why did that happen why was there a mosquito net on the middle of that table that neither of them are under because like the camera is in like 15 different places in the room in that scene where you're like okay wait where where is this divide between the two of them like the the, right oh man. That scene drove me crazy. I'm glad it drove you crazy, too, because I was just like, "What? what's going on? Where from the one angle, it looks like it's between them, and the other angle, it looks like it's not between them. And there's no real, like, there's no real reason for that little bit of visual uh, off-kilteredness. I, yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't understand it. Okay, so I'll confess, I never saw the trailer for this movie, so I was maybe oh. unprepared for the level of, like, bad camera work. Um, bad dialects um i must have seen the the trailer for this movie like a hundred times just because as i'm watching this movie all these little bits of different sean penn speeches i'm like all right that was in the trailer that was in the trailer i remember that one from the trailer i feel like this movie was very 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 much anticipated and we'll talk about that for Mm -hmm. sure it was anticipated from like a year and a half ahead of the time that it was released if not longer and so by the time like well, even the trailer back came almost out, a whole year. Right. Right. Almost an entire year. But it was like all through early 1990 or 1995, uh, 2005, that was pre- like people were really looking at that as being a big big heavy Oscar contender for a lot of the reasons we're going to get into, but like pedigree. It was all pedigree reasons that uh, on top of being a remake of a best picture winner. Well, yeah, that was I mean that's part of the whole package, right? And mm-hmm. um so by the time it, the trailer came out, it had already been delayed. So there was all, all you know, so there was questions around it, obviously. And there was, by the time it gets pushed back a year, there's a lot of, I think Titanic gave a lot of plausible deniability to like, oh, movies can get pushed back a year and they can still succeed. Gangs of New York, sort of same thing. But like this one, there was, I think there was talk of like test audiences didn't like it and yada, 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 which unsurprising given the final product. But, uh, yeah, that trailer, I remember being pretty well anticipated by, like, awards dorks like me. But, like, I'd also... Not, you had seen this movie before, right? Oh, yes. Yeah, had you you okay. had never seen it. I did not, because... Okay. And that's probably why I never watched the trailer, because when it cratered at TIFF, when it finally opened... Yeah. And I looked it up, too. It was a world premiere on the Monday night of that TIFF, unless what I found uh-huh. on the internet is wrong, which, like... yeah. Now we know would probably spell certain doom for a world premiere on a Monday night. Um, right, right. But then it gets released like two weeks later or a week or so later. And yeah, I think it immediately left theaters. This is when I was in college and like I was in a smaller city, very small yeah. city. Um, so it's like stuff didn't stick around. So like I never really had any impetus to watch it. But we've known that we would do this movie for a while. And I was still kind of flabbergasted because I thought I was like, this is just going to be boring. This is going to be one of those movies where we're like trying to find things to talk about. But like, no, this movie's a fiasco. <laughs> yeah. It's bad. It's bad. Um, oh, God. You know what I'm just realizing now? 
What? I've got the 60-second plot description, and I have not prepared at all, so this is going to be very fun as I fully wing (laughs) the plot for this movie specifically. It's going to be all off the top of my dome. has no narrative arc whatsoever. Like, it's a fairly incoherent movie because there's no, like tonal peaks and valleys whatsoever it's either is sean penn yelling or not are you confused about who some of these side characters are or not yeah and like then the end which is kind of rushed well and the movie's uh choice to sort of battle back against that or to you know alleviate that is to use a lot of flashbacks to itself or, like, mm-hmm. pointed, you know, cutting to different characters. And it's just, like, that's very inelegant. And that's very, I feel like I'm sort of being, you know, held by the hand in certain things. And sometimes it's just, like, okay, well, like, I didn't need to, you know, I didn't need that. Or, like, at the end, not to, like, jump ahead to the end, but when we're sort of told by the editing that Ruffalo's character was sort of put up to what he does at the end of the movie by... Patricia Clarkson and James Gandolfini. It's done just by these like flashback flashback voiceovers and and cuts to those two characters at different points in the movie and it's just like you couldn't have done this a little bit more, you know, narratively, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It just it felt very uh s- sloppy or blunt, I don't know, something. Very uh not even like law and ordery, but like Right. Bad procedural show on, like, yeah, TBS or something. Right. And it's just like, just write Patricia Clarkson one more scene. Like, we're happy with it. Even if you want to do the, like, flashback thing, like, here's what you don't know, what's been going on behind the scenes. Like, give her a scene. Like, let us see something, for God's sake. Yeah. For God's sake. Yeah, this is just, <laughs> it's not... It's not a good movie. It's a worse movie than I remember it being. I think at the time I was just like, oh, that's just like, you know, it's handsome and well cast and whatever. And it's just not dynamic. And it's just like, it's all those things. All those things are true. But it's also just like, it's very slow and it's very kind of obvious. And it's also very weird to watch this movie in the wake of a populist U.S. president who, you know, used that populism to terrible ends and especially the way that like steve zalian in this movie sort of ends this movie on this sort of heroic note for willie stark and it's just like wait a second were we supposed to think he's like the hero of the film like what's what's happening here and like even then the idea of a sort of like populist demagogue isn't a great idea (laughs) like it's it's based on you know uh a, a real life figure, Huey Long in uh, Louisiana, who was like a you know a populist and was sort of like to the left New Deal wise of FDR even and whatever, but also was you know corrupt and and you know on the take and all this sort of stuff. And it's just like there's to end the movie in again a flashback to a to a speech that Sean Penn's character gives in this very sort of heroic kind of like slow-mo into fade to black kind of thing. I was just like, oof, that is, that's a misread of the appeal, the, the appeal, but also the, uh, the heroicism of these kind of, uh, you know, politicians like that, let's say. Yeah. 
I'm glad we did this after the election. I will say that. Yes, I would have enjoyed this far, far. It would have given me much, much more anxiety, I think, if we had done this during the election campaign, for sure. But, like, even, I mean, like, what was the one scene where he's just, like, nail him up? I'm like, nail him up sounds so, so, so close to lock her up <laughs> in a way that is just, like, I was, I was not enjoying myself. Especially when you have it being delivered by, like, Grand Guignol, uh, Sean Penn. Sean oh. Penn uh, on one. So to over the top. Just, like, where it's, like, you know, maybe he doesn't sound like, um uh the the evil one but like just this yeah. gauche portraiture yeah. Yeah. i don't need okay so sean penn as a performer can be a little much and like i don't want to fully unpack his performance right. before the plot description right but like i don't know if i've ever seen this level <laughs> from him it's the most over the top that I can think of. Like, even when Sean Penn is good, and I do think he is often very good, uh, the ways that this movie reminded me of his performance in Milk, I kept just being like, oh, but he's so much better in Milk. Like, he's really, really good in that movie. I and- didn't think of that. And honestly, like, I under, it's like truly like you could say the flip side because I don't really feel like Sean Penn has much of like a gay affectation as milk. I think he's just like conjuring Harvey milk in a really uh, uh, convincing way. Yeah. But like this performance is like nothing but affectation and it's like, right. Right. I don't know. Maybe he learned some hard lessons from this movie that made like those crowd scenes or those political maneuvering scenes and milk. Yeah. Like um, he, he learned he the hard have, lesson of how not to push certain uh, characteristics, I guess maybe. If he would have made Harvey milk, the caricature to which he makes Willie Stark in this movie, we would, he'd be in jail. He'd be <laughs> currently in jail right now. And, and rightfully so given other things he's done in his life. But like, it, it would have been like, it made me so, so, so thankful watching this movie. I'm just like, I'm so glad he learned to like modulate and calm down for, for milk for exactly, uh, you know, sort of what you're saying. <sighs> it's a relief. I'm relieved all these 13 years later. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy! I should yeah. watch that movie again soon. If nothing, if for nothing else, than to uh, cleanse my palate from this nothing uh, movie. Yeah. Um. All right. I want to get this plot description out of the way with because now I'm <laughs> now I'm nervous that I'm gonna have to I'm gonna run out of steam like half the way through. But we'll we'll figure it out. We'll do it. Uh, I I'm gonna rely on you to get some of these narr like a. a a straight line for some of these narrative threads because the movie is so it's yeah. so scattered and like uh it, yeah we'll we'll get into it um once again guys we're here to talk about all the king's men the 2006 remake of the best picture winner um written and directed by Steve Zalian based on the novel by Robert Penn Warren starring uh Sean Penn and all of his uh Demons, I guess. Uh, Jude Law, <laughs> Patricia Clarkson, James Gandolfini, Anthony Hopkins, Kate Winslet, Mark Ruffalo, Tom McCarthy, looking like a babe, uh, Kathy Baker, Jackie Earl Haley. Movie premiered after much delay um, in TIFF of 2006, opened wide September 22nd of that month, 
And uh, very, very promptly disappeared. Yes, very quickly. In a pretty interesting Oscar year that we should talk about, too, just in terms of how that year sort of shaped up. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Um, So, Joe. Yes. Quick things that are about to happen, aside from Mm -hmm. all the King's Men leaving theaters. You're going to give us a 60-second plot description. Even if it feels like an eternity to you, it will be quick for us. Are you ready for your 60-second plot description of all the King's Men? Sure, let's do it. All right, your 60-second plot description of All the King's Men starts now. All right, Sean Penn is a local Louisiana politician named Willie Stark who gets uh, maneuvered by the local political machine to run for governor as a vote-splitting tactic, which he doesn't realize at first. And when he does, when he realizes that James Gandolfini's character was manipulating him, he goes on the stump and sort of tears Gandolfini a new one and becomes this uh, populist uh, sort of groundswell leader, and he becomes uh, gets elected governor. Uh, Jude Law, by, by the way, by, uh, meanwhile, is this local newspaper reporter who starts following him and then starts working for him. And sort of burnishing his legend. Meanwhile, Jude Law's childhood friends are Mark Ruffalo, who is a doctor, and his sister Kate Winslet, and they both want like hospital things and good things. And Kate Winslet starts to have an affair with Sean Penn, which we find out later, and Jude Law is very disillusioned by this. Meanwhile, Patricia Clarkson and James Gandolfini, who are both uh, aides to uh, to Willie, and Patricia Clarkson plays his mistress, and they both get uh, disillusioned seconds. by Stark because he's on the take and whatever, so they end up uh, setting up uh, Mark Ruffalo, to uh, who has been betrayed by him, to go and shoot him at the end of the movie, and he kills Willie Stark, and it's uh, and that's time. A lot of other things happen. I didn't even mention Anthony Hopkins at all, at all, at all, which is a big part of what gets Jude Law dis- uh, disillusioned by all of this. But anyway. I mean, it's maybe a big... Uh, do you really need that character for him to get disillusioned by all of this, though? Like, that was a character to me that I was like, you could cut this character. All so of much of that subplot would work. is so... It's so melodramatic. The part where he has to go... And tell Hopkins that he found out that he had, you know, whatever, cheated or blackmailed or something or other and led to the suicide of one of his political opponents. And Hopkins is like into the drink and all disheveled and sort of making veiled threats at Jude Law. And then we find out that he... Uh, kills himself the next day and kathy baker then goes into kathy baker as jude law's mother is the most like histrionic like media on stage just sort of like he was your daddy it was just it's you killed your father it's so it's very very over the top and i know that like this is based on a novel and then it was made into a movie and all this stuff but like you can cut some things out and sort of streamline some things that maybe don't that maybe play very very melodramatically in 2006 let's say well here's my thing about it though this is partly why i think that this movie is just like abhorrently directed is like all of these actors are pitched really really high and it's incredibly broad and like i could understand if it was going for like uh of the era and before of the original all the King's Men, you know, in a certain stylization, like an old Hollywood um, type of, I don't want to say campiness, but like just a completely different acting style that we have in the modern era, right? Like chasing that. But the problem otherwise is everything is so flat, boring, ugly to look at. There's almost like no stylization to the movie except for like gray tones and sepia tones. It's like 
fucking yeah. the Snyder cut or something in this movie. It's so yeah. goddamn gray. Yes. So it's like yeah. it feels like all of the actors are bad when right. I feel like there is a certain style choice that they are being given that is not matched in the style of the movie. So it's like all mm-hmm. these actors are getting hung out to dry. Mm-hmm. That like I think they need I to think be the met actors... on the same level for it yeah. to make sense. Yeah. No. I agree. I think the actors who come out best in this movie are, I mean, maybe just the one. I think Patricia Clarkson gives a really good performance in a way that I wish she was in it more. I I know in the lead up to the movie, there was a lot of sort of light on her as a possibility for a supporting actress nomination because Mercedes McCambridge in the original All the King's Men won Best Supporting Actress for playing that same role. And... I think even when the casting was announced and like, obviously Kate Winslet's a bigger star than Patricia Clarkson, but like people who sort of knew the role that Clarkson was taking was just like, Oh no, it's her. Like she's got the, she's got the plum role here. This was the one that, you know, won an Oscar back in 1949. And then if you watch the movie and it's just like, she's just not in it enough. She's in maybe like four or five scenes, but like the short scenes and they're, yeah, and it's just like it's mostly her and Jude Law, and she's really good, but it's not enough. And definitely, like, the movie, even though we've talked about how, like, the movie does not serve Kate Winslet's character well at all, it still sort of sees her as, like, more important than mm-hmm. than Clarkson's character. And it's a shame, because I think Clarkson's the one who really, um, she's she's not going over the top. <laughs> like I was trying to pay is. attention and... to the clock with Winslet because she has that one scene early in the movie with her Ruffalo and Jude Law on the beach. That's like a flashback. Yeah. And then I don't think she appears in the movie with like a real scene until an hour into yeah. it. Yeah. It takes a while. It takes a while for Winslet. Um, And Ruffalo, I think is pretty good in his stuff too. But again, he's not in it very much at all either. You mentioned, like, why would Winslet do this movie earlier? And, like, I felt that very truly. And I also felt it kind of for Mark Ruffalo. It yeah. made me wonder if there's some longer cut of this movie that exists where they're in it more significantly. Because, like, it's not like there's some ego thing. Like, why would you do this movie? But, like, they have these kind of nothing characters where it's, like, even if it's incredibly broad like everyone else has more to do than they do like tom mccarthy has more to do than mark ruffalo does yeah well this was a period in ruffalo's career where he was taking a lot of stuff right he was taking a lot of roles this was uh he this had he had just done he had had that small role in collateral and then he had made a bunch of rom-coms where he had done 13 going on 30 and rumor has it and just like heaven and he had been part of a big ensemble in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which is another pretty small role in a big ensemble. And that works out really well for him. Uh, he, you know, even though he's not the movie, it's another Kate Winslet movie with him. Um, he even though to do an Eternal Sunshine than this, though. Oh, absolutely. And it's and it's more fun stuff. But, like, if you name, the, you know, four performers from Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Ruffalo's probably not going to be one of the ones that you name. But... Um, that's really rewarding for him. And so it's a, it, I feel like he's, you know, taking a lot of roles at this point in his career, even if not all of them really work. And 
Yeah, this, I mean, I could see the appeal of, like, if, especially if he signs on after Penn and Law and Winslet are all signed on. I don't know. I don't know in what order all these people came out of the project. But I can see the appeal of that. And again, it's a remake of a Best Picture winner. And Steve Zalian has this really, really strong reputation as at least a screenwriter. And also the fact that, like, the other, the, uh, oh, he had done two, he had directed two other movies before All the King's Men. It was Mm -hmm. a civil action which does pretty well and gets an Oscar nomination for Robert Duvall. And, and then Conrad searching Bobby Fisher, uh, cinematographer. Right. And then searching for Bobby Fisher, which is f- a phenomenal movie. Just a really really wonderful movie and also nominated you know, for Conrad Hall. Right. Oh, fantastic cinematography in that movie. So like I can see the appeal of just wanting to sort of like play in the sandbox with these people. And it ultimately doesn't serve him very well, which is too bad. But uh, we should talk about Ruffalo, though, because this is our sixth Mark Ruffalo movie that we've done on this podcast. He joins our six-timers club prestigiously. Um, This is after we've (laughs) done Where the Wild Things Are and In the Cut and Zodiac and Fifty Four surprise Mark Ruffalo movie Fifty Four, mm-hmm. and then we've In a done Canadian Reservation tuxedo. Road exactly, uh, and then we've done Reservation Road semi recently as well, and now film number six, All the King's Men. Uh, it's also our fifth James Gandolfini movie, which uh, and our seventh Anthony Hopkins movie. So the, the cast members are really uh, coming fast and furious with this one. Um, <laughs> our fourth Jude Law movie. Only our fourth yeah. Jude Law? Yeah, it's uh, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, I Heart Huckabees, Alfie, and then this, unless I'm missing anything, but I don't think I am. I think it's just maybe we've, like, hashed out his 2000... Well, yeah, we've just, like, talked about his 2004 a lot. I think when we teased this episode, yeah. a lot of people asked if we were doing Sky Captain. And it's, no, it's not that. <laughs> We could. At some point, we could. Um, but so when we... Uh, induct our uh, actors into our six timers club which again is very prestigious and and honorable uh i make a little quiz for you about the films about the six films that we've covered from the from these performers so how would you like to take that little quiz right now uh i say lay it on me let's uh let's do that all right so a reminder the films that we that will be discussing in this quiz are Where the Wild Things Are, In the Cut, Zodiac, 54, Reservation Road, and All the King's Men. All right, first question, Chris. Which three of those movies were released in October? Um, Where the Wild Things Are, In the Cut, and not Zodiac, not 54, not All the King's Men, so that leaves, I'm already forgetting the movies, Reservation Road. (laughs) <laughs> yes, reservation road. Correct, correct on all three. Which made the most money? Which made the most money? Where the wild things are. Domestic. Yes, uh, where the wild things are made the most domestic. Seventy-seven point two million. These are not a particularly lucrative set of films, uh, all told. In terms of their theatrical cuts, which was the shortest? Um. It could be 54, which I think is around the 90-ish minute mark. So I'm going to say uh, 54. You're correct. 54 at 93 minutes. Yeah. If we are counting the director's cut for 54, what is the shortest? Would it then be Reservation Road? It's I Reservation feel like that Road. Because I shortish. 
Yeah. yeah. 98 minutes reservation road. Very, very good. All right. Which two were nominated for Hollywood Film Awards? <laughs> uh, All the King's Men. Yes. Um, and Reservation Road. And for Reservation Jennifer Road Connelly. for Jennifer Connelly. Very, very good. Yes. Which film was released on the same weekend as Wild Hogs and Black Snake Moan? Oh, no. Um, that is Zodiac. <laughs> That's Zodiac. Yep. Yep. March of 2007 was a wild time. Uh, which one is a, yeah, seriously, which one is a Razzie nominee? Um, ooh, uh, 54. 54 is a two-time Razzie nominee, including for our beloved Ellen Albertini Dow, which we've talked about how angry that made us, that nomination made us. You don't need me to tell the Razzies to burn in hell one more time. Uh, which one made the National Border Review top 10 for its year? Um, Zodiac. Yes. No, sorry. I was too soon. I was looking at another one. Yes, not Zodiac. (laughs) Um, Not Zodiac. So Where the Wild Things Are? Where the Wild Things Are. Correct. Yeah. Which one was shot by Dion Beebe? Um, Was it this? All the King's Men? It is not All the King's Men. All the King's Men was shot by uh, Pavel Edelman. No. Okay. Uh, was it Reservation Road? It was not Reservation Road. Was it 54? No, it was In the Cut. <laughs> Jesus. In the Cut. Uh, shot by Dion Beatty. Okay. Which one was a, no, was nominated for a Teen Choice Award? Uh, it was... I mean, I want to say... It, it's something crazy. It's... It should be where the wild things are, but I think it's Zodiac. It's Zodiac for Jake Gyllenhaal's performance. Yes. So weird. So All weird. the teens watching yep. Zodiac. Which was released the same year as Mark Ruffalo's performance in View from the Top? Oh, okay. Um, didn't Gwyneth Paltrow uh, lovingly refer to that movie as like View from My Ass or something? <laughs> She's a delight and we love her. Uh, she hates that movie. Um, uh, that's that's like mid-aughts, I think. So is it All the King's Men? It's not All the King's Men. Is it In the Cut? It's In the Cut, 2003. Yes. Yeah. All right. Which four were directed by Oscar winners? Um... All the King's Men. Yep. Uh, David Fincher does not have an Oscar. So, um, In the Cut. Yep. Where the Wild Things Are. Yep. And Reservation Road, because Terry George has a short Oscar. Very, very good. That's exactly what it is. Because uh, he does not have, uh, technically, the foreign language film Oscar. That does not go. And all the other directors have writing Oscars. And all the other directors have writing Oscars. Yeah, very good. All right. Um, final question. Mark Ruffalo and James Gandolfini co-starred in All the King's Men and Where the Wild Things Are. And what third film that we have not covered yet, but we could? Oh, um, mm, it's a crime movie. It is, um, it's not killing them softly, but it's something like that. I don't think it's so. Not, I don't think you're on the it's right not track. It's collateral because that's Oscar nominated. I don't it's think you're quite on the right track. 
Oh, so is it not a crime movie? It's not quite a crime movie. It's there's a b- okay. bit more of a specific genre. Crime is sort of is the precursor like a... to this genre. Okay, so it's it's got to be like a um what comes after you commit a crime? You go to jail. Right. Theoretically. Right. Um or you get caught. Um, so is it a, it's not a courtroom one. It's gotta be some type. Oh, it's, um, uh, uh, with, uh, Robert Redford, the last castle, the last castle with Robert Redford. Very, very good. Yes. Which we could definitely do. Cause that definitely had Oscar buzz for sure. For sure. All right. Very good. You have we passed talked about Redford before we've talked about Redford. Yeah. With, uh, of, of course he was Einer opposite Jennifer Lopez in, uh, Oh, and, uh, t- uh, truth as well. Yes. And truth as well. Yeah. Yeah. We've done Redford. We could do Redford again, though. Redford's an interesting and fun uh, uh, Oscar story. But anyway, well done on the Mark Ruffalo quiz. Thank you. Very Thank proud you of you. Much. Um, let's talk about Steve Zalian for a second, though. So we said... Oscar winner for uh, the screenplay of Schindler's List. For Schindler's List. Yep, absolutely. He's He's one of those writers who you look at his writing credits and... You have to really, like, dig into each movie to see whether is he the sole screenwriter? Is he one of, like, you know, many credited screenwriters, which meant he did either an early draft or a later draft. He's a lot of the times somebody they call in to, like, you know, save a script that is sort of faltering. It's just like, well, now we'll get the Steve Zalian version of it because he's so proven. And so, like, we've done Steve Zalian screenplay credits before we've done hannibal the 2001 uh, silence of the lamb sequel hannibal we've done exodus gods and kings of course uh, both of those being ridley scott movies so like zalian's uh zalian's phone number it feels like is on a lot of people's phones to just sort of just like when when you're in trouble when you need a hand a lot of uh large ships shall we say um Yes. And like big name directors too. He was just nominated for The Irishman. Right. And that one he's got a sole screenplay credit on. It feels like that was uh Scorsese sort of went to him probably directly and was just like you to know, adapt the book. You're my guy on this one. Yes, yes. Uh he did the screenplay for Awakenings in nineteen ninety that got De Niro a Best Actor nomination uh for that one the penny marshall film awakenings i always forget that's a penny marshall film it's sort of uh atypical in as much as she she's directed very sort of like varied movies but uh mm-hmm. uh his first film was a john schlesinger film uh the falcon and the snowman which was of course the prequel to the falcon and the winter soldier where anthony mackie uh gave you all the clues mr policeman that is he um uh anthony mackie hands just a gun to <laughs> a snowman and he becomes the winter soldier that's right the snowman is the original winter soldier for sure uh yeah it's an interesting it's a very interesting filmography if you look at it um worked with fincher he also did the screenplay for jack the bear shout out to um our beloved bart the bear Oh, right. Oh, uh, this had Oscar Buzz, uh, Lifetime Achievement Award winner, Bart the Bear and all his projects. Presented by Bart the Bear, too. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Oh, that was a Marshall Herskovitz movie. Um, Marshall, I feel like Edward Zwick gets the uh, the lion's share of the Zwick and Herskovitz uh, movie side credit. The two of them, of course, I will always love because of my so-called life. But um, 
Marshall Herskovitz also got to direct, to direct uh, a movie or two, and one of them was Jack the Bear, a film I have never seen, but looks like it's probably very sad. Just from the yeah, way it's like, I can't do animals in peril. This one is like children too. This is, I think it's mostly just like, I don't think this is. I don't know. Wait, you're thinking of the bear, not Jack the Bear. Oh no, I do know what Jack the Bear is. This the, is okay, Danny DeVito. Jack the Bear is nuts. Jack the Bear. Okay, so Jack the Bear. Danny DeVito is a single parent of two boys, and yeah. like the older boy yeah. dates Reese Witherspoon. By the way, what? Um, like dates they're like 10 years they're like 10 okay right 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 right. yes and then gary sinise is like their neighbor who is a nazi (gasps) and i think child rapist and like the movie ends with him like invading their house and i think he falls from a tree and dies it's a very traumatic movie (laughs) wow it's a lot like gary sinise dresses up a neighborhood boy as like a nazi for halloween wow i could be remembering this movie no, wrong it, but I, I definitely watched it a bunch as a kid so like maybe my memory is warped of it but like jack the bear is i always just lot. thought it looked like sad and serious and i didn't want to watch it even though i really loved danny devito at the time like as a as a kid danny devito is always one of your favorite actors because he's sort of you can meet him eye to eye and also he's very absolutely fun. um and no he's, just, he's how do you not love how do you not love daniel like seriously right and, um uh, there's like a custody thing because the mother is dead and i think the grandparents want to get custody of the kids but i couldn't tell you if it's like Danny DeVito is a bad dad in the movie. Wow. Like, it's because he is, like, I don't know, whatever. Like, I don't know if he's doing anything wrong or if the in-laws are just, like, evil. Oh, God. Yeah, The Bear, which is, the, that is the film with Bart the Bear, uh, was from 1998, yeah. directed by Jean-Jacques Anneau, who directed this had Oscar buzz film Seven Years in Tibet, and also uh, Enemy at the Gates and The Name of the Rose. That is a film about a bear it's about you know it's it's called the bear it's about a bear there's a bear well jack the bear is about a bear because it's danny devito well yeah of course it's a different kind it's a different kind of bear yeah boy we're really uh we're really nailing all the uh (laughs) all the little rabbit holes on this one (laughs) um all the king's men so we talked about sean penn we talked about like let's talk about jude law in this movie where this is sort of, this is, of course, the film that Sean Penn and Jude Law were making at the time of the 2004 Oscars when Chris Rock was very, very mean to Jude Law and Sean Penn. Did Sean Penn have his Willie Stark haircut at that Oscars as he was angrily defending Jude Law? I think Sean Penn kind of always has that haircut. Yeah. It's just how disheveled is it? Yeah, I feel like this one, though, it's there's a little bit more of a... Like a, you know, shaved around the the sides, kind of like a mop top kind sure, of thing to it. Sure, 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 sure. Um, but this was the film they were making together. This is why Sean Penn was very, very defensive of Jude Law. I'm sure Jude Law, we've talked about this, but I'm sure Jude Law would have rathered that Sean Penn had said uh, nothing at all. Uh, he's sort of, he's the lead of this movie. For as much as Sean Penn is... The right. focal point of the film, he obviously was campaigned as a lead actor. Uh, the actor who played the Willie Stark role, uh, Broderick Crawford, in the original, won Best Actor. 
at that Oscars. But like Sean or Jude Law is the central character, the POV character, and he's the main guy sort of moving through the action of this movie. It's mostly about him. He's not very interesting as a character. No. At all. No, at not all. at all. And like it kind of proves a lot of those complaints about Jude Law where it's like everybody was saying this in 2004 that they were like sick of seeing him. He's not that interesting of an actor, which is like not necessarily true because he is really good in I Heart Huckabees and then like closer kind of exacerbates it because he plays like this like feckless boob, right? Um, He plays into people's sort of uh, worst opinions of his characters in Closer, but I think he does that in a very, very uh, effective way. I think it's, I always sort of talk about... it's a good performance. It's a good performance. Sometimes when a character is not likable and the actor plays that character as that, we sort of you know, our wires get crossed a little bit. And it's just, just like, fuck that guy. I hate that guy. And it's just like, no, well, you're... Sort <laughs> well, of and also probably the degree to which people uh, ascribed that performance to Jude Law himself um, yeah. speaks to, I think, the strength of the performance. Yeah, totally. But I think Jude but Law... But all the Kingsmen yeah. is, like, proving a lot of those things and like i I say proving with like square scare quotes around it but it's like uh, the like it it doesn't make a case that jude law is an interesting actor in any way and like you're saying he is the almost the center of every scene of the movie yes uh it's not like he doesn't have the time to make something interesting happen i have liked movies I have liked Jude Law performances where he is a lead. I think he's actually very good in Cold Mountain for as much as Cold Mountain has, you know, a bunch of uh, problems. Uh, On balance, though, he is far, far, far more interesting as a supporting actor. And that has borne out in Mm -hmm. that stage of his career when, like, what are his best performances in the early 2000s or late 90s, early 2000s? It's Gattaca, Talented Mr. Ripley, I Heart Huckabees, A.I., like all supporting performances. And then now at this point in his career, he's also most interesting in supporting performances with stuff like Anna Karenina. And um, I mean, contagion's its own thing. Say what you will about contagion, but I kind of like him. He's really interesting. He's really good in spy. Uh, Yeah. Spy is another great example. Um, I mean, again, say what you will about Vox Lux, but uh, he is giving a, big old supporting performance in that film. Um, And even something like The Nest, where, like, he's one of the co-leads in that movie, but, like, that's Carrie Coon's movie, but he's allowed to sort of operate. It's sort of, like, closer there, too, right? Where he's allowed to operate a little bit more as a character because he's not the... He's not really the protagonist of that movie, right? Carrie Coon is the protagonist of that movie. And he's so effective in not having, he's not needing to get the audience's sympathies on his side. He's so, so, so good uh-huh. operating in that atmosphere. Yeah, I don't think people really unpacked how good he is in that movie because I think those of us who are butthurt that The Nest uh, didn't get any attention or like people <laughs> didn't like it uh kind of harvested all of our energies towards carrie coon but he is right. amazing in the nest he's fantastic he's really fantastic in that so yeah i think it's you know there's a jude law conundrum because and the conundrum is 
he's so goddamn good looking that it seems stupid that he shouldn't be a leading man because like we've had hundreds of a hundred or so years of Hollywood history that tell us that somebody that good looking should be a leading man. And he's just better when he's not. It's just scientific fact. He's better when he's not. And yeah, this film, you know, really bears that out. Kathy Baker on her fainting couch. I just want to say, I just want to mention it. <laughs> a, a mood, an aspiration. I think she's got a drink in her hand and she's really like, she is dressed for, you know, cocktails and dinner, but like she is just lounging on that couch and, and rightly. So I feel like there's, there was a missed opportunity of like art direction, set decoration in this movie where like, there are these big sort of like fancy houses that this film sort of takes place in and it doesn't really feature them to their, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like, I wanted it to be like Anna Karenina, where (laughs) suddenly there would be this reveal that this is all shot in one giant mansion, and we're actually watching (laughs) some, like, uh, artists. uh, Yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, This movie uh, does not have ideas uh, to speak of, let alone ones like that. Um, Yeah, Kathy Baker. Always happy to see Kathy Baker. Um... But even she's given, like, ridiculous stuff to do. Oh, You're yeah. right. You mentioned at the top that, like, the best performance, the one who probably emerges the most unscathed, is Patricia Clarkson, even though there's not enough of her. Yeah. Yeah. She does have, unquestionably, the best line in the movie after Sean Penn's affair is revealed. And it's, like, a ballerina who does ice skating on a stage. It was very, very, very confusing. Yes. Um, though maybe the most interesting sequence of the movie. She says, the world is full of sluts on skates. Um, relatable. Oh, the sluts on skates line? Yeah, for sure. I feel like sluts Denali from Drag Race should embody that uh, more. That should be that should be her <laughs> brand. Um, she should do, at her next show, she should just do a Patricia Clarkson monologue from All the King's Men. It'll really get all the 20-something gays uh, uh, hopping, for sure. They'll know, um, yeah, they'll, they'll be familiar with all the king's men totally yeah. that ballerina though the ice skating ballerina of course dances to the tango from true lies and i know that there's not uh, that did not originate in true lies but it will always 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 be the tia carrera uh, tango from true lies to me i d- i did remember it i just couldn't place where it was from yeah yeah um I'm also sort of looking at my notes now. There's another thing I wrote down when Jude Law goes and investigates. So Willie Willie Stark sort of sends Jude Law's character down the path of investigating. Because uh, Anthony Hopkins is sort of a thorn in Willie's side in this movie. He's uh, politically. And uh, Willie wants to discredit him, especially in Jude Law's eyes, because Jude is sort of his... Uh, trusted advisor and he wants to keep his loyalty so he says go look into anthony hopkins and he's maybe not as upstanding a figure as you've always thought he was and he goes in and he finds this the uh sister of this political opponent of anthony hopkins's who had committed suicide and uh, he's talking to her and at one point he just goes, now don't you go jumping out a window. And it's just like, that's very insensitive. <laughs> and he's just like, he's not even trying to like be mean about it. But it's just like, that was a shockingly uh, a callous thing to say to somebody whose brother had killed himself. Yow. So yeah, the dialogue in this film, 
this again coming from a really really prolific and accomplished screenwriter uh as Zalian is i don't know what what do you, okay so you, go ahead i remember i i just kind of want to talk about how this movie cratered at that tiff do you have that tiff lineup pulled up because you should pull it up i'll pull it it's up. like when you look at the past years this would be a great year to go there were two major stories that i remember from uh this tiff it's this movie cratering and then the borat premiere oh god at it was in midnight madness and like the projector goes out like 15 minutes into the movie and like while they're trying to salvage it for this like midnight premiere screening like michael moore gets on stage and is like answering questions from the audience oh wow sasha baron cohen is like coming and going like trying to get the movie fixed but then still like being performing as borat for the crowd and like saying he's gonna kill the projectionist and things oh that is that's had to have been a real experience to be able to see that that's sort of part of like that tiff like midnight madness legend i'm sure i'm I'm surprised they don't talk about that more i guess because it's it highlights uh an error on uh on the festival's part but uh yeah. <laughs> well i mean like uh, this was this was still when they were doing film projection i'm sure yeah. there's other situations where things have happened before sure um because most of the festival will be digital now and that's easier to fix i guess or you're yeah. like you know what a little extra digital something right i I, listen i'm not i'm not good with science and that That, is basically science to me that particular midnight madness though it's borat it's uh the host bong joon ho's the host was it that uh, that midnight madness and then also uh all the boys love mandy lane which was that movie that was like famously delayed forever and ever and ever uh played tiff that year uh, in Midnight Madness doesn't get released in the United States until 2013. Uh, Amber Heard yep. was in that movie. That was sort of just like very, very famously long delayed. Um, yeah, now I'm looking and seeing what the uh, the big gala premieres were that year. Babel it's was such that a year. Good tiff that like Bobby you can really see comparatively how All the King's Men was the fly in the punch bowl. I mean, there were some bombs that year. Where, like Ridley Scott's A Good Year, which was very much buzzed and did not do much. Uh, Infamous, the uh, not Capote Capote movie that finally got released, was uh, a gala premiere that year. But like, yeah, you're right. There's like Away from Hers that year, which is just like such a, a groundswell success for Sarah Polly. Um, Babel obviously goes on to a Best Picture. Uh, nomination and almost a win last king of scotland was that year oscar win for forrest whitaker little children the good kate winslet movie that year pan's labyrinth was it tiff um even things like the fountain being there like this would have been a cool thing to go to like i there's not there's things that were you know not successful and not critically well reviewed but like there always will be i don't know the like there's no bombs right quite in the way that all the king's men was and you can also see how like that very loud negative reaction from the festival when the movie opens a week or so later how that contributed to uh like the movie completely evaporating from theaters instantly yeah yeah absolutely 
Uh, and yet, People's Choice Award that year was a film called Bella by uh, Alejandro Gomez Monteverde that I don't know if I recall. So, this was All before. All I know about that movie is Tammy Blanchard is in it. Oh, well, we love Tammy Blanchard. Yeah, good for uh, Tammy. Oh, now I'm looking at it. Tammy Blanchard and also Allie Landry, the uh, famous uh, Doritos. Uh, spokesmodel <laughs> who is not ali larder that's uh yeah uh yeah really it is really interesting that the uh people's choice was something so far um away from oscar yeah when that was a very oscary very oscary tiff volver was there uh leading up to uh penelope cruz's nomination uh roger michelle's venus which got a nomination for peter o'toole was at that tiff yeah away from her the 2006 Oscar race, the way that Buzz sort of built through that year, yeah, away from her, which doesn't get released, obviously, until the next year. So this was a until little the next like year, a, yeah. yeah. But 2006 Oscar Buzz builds really interestingly because, of course, the winner ultimately ends up being The Departed, which was the trajectory of that film. We may have talked about this a while ago, but like it's been a minute. Um, where. Uh-huh. I think on the heels of The Aviator, which was so, so, so heralded as being like, this is going to be the Scorsese film that finally wins. It's everything that Oscar wants. It's big. It's lavish. It's got all the fixins. And then Clint Eastwood comes out at the last minute and snakes him and gets Best Picture. And I think there was a little bit of a hangover, a Scorsese hangover from that, because The Aviator happened right after Gangs of New York, which also had a lot of that when will Marty win kind of buzz. And... The Departed was sort of seen as, if not exactly a retreat, then sort of a a back-to-basics movie that is just like, let's just have a Martin Scorsese movie where we just enjoy ourselves. And we don't have to talk Even about... When, like the reviews were through the roof at the beginning, Warner Brothers tried to... Downplay. ...abate some of and downplay some of the oscar talk for it too because a if they did if it could be successful like they didn't want that fatigue thing right but they also had a clint eastwood movie that would be coming at the last minute when that movie did arrive it got well the departed came out after flags of our fathers had already been released and people were so so on that movie yeah but when letters from iwo jima arrives again <laughs> the very last minute yeah. um and gets incredible reviews it was like oh no is this gonna happen again because remember at that point the departed did have some steam remember when we talked about hillary swank and conviction and it's just like when annette benning was getting buzzed for the kids are all right and everybody was just like oh god no here it's gonna happen again and there was absolutely <laughs> that sense because you're right flags of our fathers come out kate had come out and that had very big early buzz because it was clint eastwood follow up to his best picture win whatever and then there was this, I feel like there was a definite sense of relief when it didn't get good reviews and everybody was just like, okay, well, it's not going to be Flying Silver Fathers. Thank God. And then you're right. Then The Departed finally, it gets released. Everybody's just like, no, it's just a regular movie. It's not an Oscar movie. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's not going to be anything. And then finally, when buzz starts to creep up a little bit, when people are just like, but people really love it. And there's no, like, there's no saying that it can't. And then letters from iwo jima comes out and it is it's just like the your stomach falls through your feet and you're just like oh god like mike myers is not dead michael myers isn't dead he's just he's back (laughs) and 
I really like Letters from Iwo Jima. <laughs> like, uh, in comparison to Flags of Our Fathers, yeah, it helps that it's in comparison to that movie, which is very, very not good. Um, but I think Letters from, Letters from Iwo Jima is a very good movie, a very solid Clint Eastwood movie. But um, And then it does, you're right, it gets nominated for Best Picture, sort of edging out Dreamgirls and... It was it was amazing the sense that just like oh my good god it's uh it's happening again. Clint Eastwood does this. He does this every few years where you think he's out of it and then American Sniper happens. You know you think he's gone and it's just like that's why every Clint Eastwood movie that comes out nobody can ever count it out no matter what no no wow. matter how unlikely. Look out next year for Cry Macho. Right. Well, this is what this is what I'm saying. This is when the Mule comes out and you're just like. Well, it seems ridiculous. And yet, like, your mind is just like, we've we've been through this before. We have to steal ourselves. We have to prepare. We have to, again, you're building up the sandbags. In and it doesn't a... matter if, like, elements of some of these movies are so horribly made. Because we all remember the movie from, uh, the baby from American Sniper. Exactly. And how poorly shot that movie is and exactly. that doesn't stop people from thinking it's great it like, sure doesn't it sure doesn't um yeah and then like yeah so the 2006 sort of best picture race evolves very very interestingly and then like Babel wins the globe and then you know the queen is this very sort of like broadly appealing film that everybody really liked and then little miss sunshine wins the sag and Dream Girls gets surprisingly left off of Best Picture, and that sort of throws things into chaos. And I remember that being you said a very Iwo Jima kind year. of uh, edged it out, and it's probably more Little Miss Sunshine because this is mostly. I mean, when The Departed is not one of the grimmest movies in Best Picture, <laughs> um, you know, like it, it, Dream Girls. The thing about Dream Girls, which like I adore that movie. Um, one of the things at the time that thought like, oh, it would be safe is that like you're competing against vi- war movies, violent movies like The Departed, like right. fatalistic babble, yeah. you know, even The Queen, that, like, which is about like grief and, you know, the Queen's response mm-hmm. to tragedy and stoicism in the face of tragedy and this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, But Little Miss Sunshine's arc, I thought, was a lot more explicable, where it was a Sundance movie, you really watched that film sort of like over the summer build up, uh, you know, in popularity, and it had endured. And then once it started showing up in precursor season in different places, I at least was just like, yeah, this is definitely happening. Like, this is absolutely mm-hmm. going to show up. Because it's, it's you know, very sort of like tried and true arc. And I still really love Little Miss Sunshine. I know that movie is a... Uh, kind of a lightning rod for people, especially as an Oscar success. Uh, it's sort of a light. I've, I've probably said for two years on this podcast, I sh- I need to watch it again, but I need to watch it again. Yeah, it's really good. Um, yeah, so all the King's Men did not have the stuff to uh, to to punch <laughs> in that same weight class as all of those films. Did you watching this for the first time? Did you feel like more was going to come of those 8 billion cutaway shots to Jackie Earl Haley, like, polishing his gun? Oh, my God. They do so many of them. You know what's interesting about Jackie Earl Haley in this movie is this was supposed to come out in 05. So, like, this would have been out 
before Little Children, and I feel like right because everything came out before Little Children because Little Children barely got released that year. It just oh, true. I mean, that's still anticipate. Little Children is one of the theatrical victims of COVID. Yeah, I can't wait. Still waiting on a real release of that movie. I can't wait to get Um, to go to theaters again so I can finally see Little Children in theaters. Living in Buffalo at the time, I just remember being so furious. All I wanted to do was see that movie, and it just never showed up, ever. It, I don't think it ever played here. And oh It got God. caught up in some weird contract stuff with New Line, I think. Mm-hmm. I looked into this because I was like, this is crazy. Yeah. And then you look up, on, you can still look up on Box Office Mojo how that movie expanded, and it's like... It, truly the wildest thing I've ever seen, where it's like movies like Call Me By Your Name, Carol, that right. took forever to really roll out into not New York and L.A. Right. And, and like Little Children is definitely the longest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The idea of All the King's Men as a remake of a Best Picture winner, which was a big, big part of its buzz because, you know... It worked before. This material had worked before in 1949. So Mm -hmm. why not now? But like it was that kind of thing didn't happen. Like you don't you didn't remake a Best Picture winner. The only real example of that and correct me if I'm forgetting something at that point was that Hamlet had been remade a few times. But like Hamlet was Hamlet. Like, you know what I mean? Like Shakespeare productions get made yeah. in many different ways. That didn't really feel and I'm like sure the same that kind the of Olivier thing. Olivier one wasn't the first Hamlet. Exactly. Exactly. So that didn't really feel like exactly the same kind of thing. And like other things, other best picture winners were maybe reimagined as other things, or their source material was adapted in a different way. But in, in terms of just like a straight remake, All the King's Men was kind of unique. And it's funny that now we just had one with Rebecca. Uh, on Netflix that Mm -hmm. might as well not exist. Um, But that was, you know, notable. despised it. Didn't see it. And then we're going to get one next year with West Side Story. So, like, you know, for it not happening for, like, decades and decades, it happens with all the King's Men, and it's a failure. And then now, within the the span of, you know, two years, and it should have been in one year, because West Side Story was supposed to come out in 2020, um, and West Side Story is still going to end up getting a lot of Oscar buzz. It certainly was when everything got called off last time. And there's no real indication that it won't get buzz again when it gets, you know, the ramp up to its release at the end of 2021, if that is indeed when it gets released. But I'm still highly skeptical about that as a major Oscar play. Me too, but... It's a Steven Spielberg movie that is gunning for Oscar. So, like, you can't really ignore it. So, and I really love Ariana DeBose as uh, as Anita. I that do casting. Too. So, I'm really, really hopeful for that. But, yeah, like, uh, a remake of West Side Story is going to have people sort of guarded. And then that it stars Ansel Elgort is really going to have people guarded. So, the... The potential for that movie to really crash, especially with critics, is big. But I could also see it be, a, especially if people are going back to the movies in a big way at the end of the year, I could see it being a big crowd pleaser. Sure. Because it's I West guess, Side Story. I mean, like, maybe my, my, for lack of a better word, my skepticism regarding that movie and Oscar is a little more basic. Like, Oscar is not prone to 
in this current era and like West Side Story is of course its own thing and will have its own like baggage and a uh, set of expectations for stingier Oscar voters. Yes. But like it's still going to be a movie about teens like and they they yeah. could give a crap. About no, that. that's a good point. Um but again, history has shown that at least they gave a crap back when you know, it won best picture sure. the last time. Sure. But I think its biggest hurdle is going to end up being is that if In the Heights is the kind of hit that I think it's going to be. Like, just from watching the trailer, people are just, like, bursting into tears, as I did uh, a week ago. Um, it's going to already have all that momentum, and it's going to be very, very easy to put those two films side by side and just be like, West Side Story is the old and busted, and In the Heights is the new hotness kind of a thing. And it's just going to, if, unless West Side, or unless In the Heights becomes the you know the reception of that is completely counter to what it seems like it's going to be and we've already heard from like there have been whispers from people who have seen it that are just like it's really good um it's going to be hard for west side story to compare favorably to it mhm so and i've got all my chips on in the heights at this point so I can, there's no. I Who guess knows, there's, maybe it'll be our first movie back in theaters. Remember a year ago when we were like, yes. "Well, In the Heights will probably be our first movie back in theaters in the well, summer." You yeah, we wrong. Uh, yeah, no, we were in in another way. We were very, very wrong. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> I can't wait to go see a movie in a theater again. I just genuinely can't wait. Oh boy, it's gonna I be the dumbest movie. movie. The first in thing. A theater. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be stupid, whatever it is. Whatever it is, and I'll be happy as a clam to see it. Whatever. I'm kind of hoping that tenants go in theaters when I go back. with matinee ladies who don't know what they're watching. <laughs> I want to be a matinee lady who doesn't know what he's watching in a movie theater again. Like, that's what I want. That's all I want. Oh, boy. That's our future. What else? Anything else about uh, about all the King's Men that we want to get into? Oh, I didn't really talk about exactly about Kate Winslet's 2006. I sort of alluded to it. It's a really weird year for her. Um, She's in this, which has a lot of Oscar buzz, and then it totally bombs. The very end of the year, we just mentioned Little Children, which gets her her fifth Best Actress nomination. It's the last one she gets before she ends up winning two years later for The Reader, controversially enough. Um... But this, she gets that nomination purely on the strength of her reviews, because like all the reviews really loved that movie and really loved her, especially. But she's also in The Holiday, which is again another Kate Winslet Jude Law movie, and that one they are siblings, and in this one they are lovers who grew lovers. up as sort of like quasi siblings, right? Um, and then of course we all remember clearly. Her fourth 2006 movie, uh, Flushed Away, where she plays a... <laughs> the Aardman. She plays a rat, I believe. She voices... Are they rats in Flushed Away? I think it's rats. The title Flushed Away always makes me worry that uh, they're all, like, playing little poops in a in a toilet or whatever. And it's, like, it's toilet-based, but no, they are rats. <laughs> Kate Winslet voicing a poop. Okay, yes, I've looked this up. They are indeed rats. It looks like the villains are these little green blobby things. Are the villains are not the villains poops, poops? But boogers? I'm going to tell they look you like something the villains in the poster of this movie. I'm going to surprise you and tell you that I have never seen 
uh, DreamWorks animations flushed away, but I have not either. Uh, I want I want I want our listeners to just like examine the voice cast of 2006's Flushed Away. So, uh, Hugh Jackman, Kate Winslet, Ian McKellen, Jean Renault, Andy Serkis, of course, Bill Nye, Miriam Margulies, who we adore, uh, Kathy Burke. It's just, it's the finest collection of performers gathered together to make a film about animated rats in a toilet who, as you just mentioned, are perhaps <laughs> battling little poopies. So, like... I mean, it's an Aardman movie. I'll probably love it. Listen, I'm not I saying... I never disliked an Aardman movie. I'm not saying that you and I, at some point soon, should watch Flushed Away together. But I'm not not saying that, either. <laughs> at this point, I the, the level the of escapism of that I need... Substance. Yeah. <sighs> flushed away. Okay, which of these which of these performers though do we think is most likely to voice a little poopy? Oh, Bill, uh, 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 uh not Bill Nye. Of course not Bill Nye. I meant Andy Circus. Andy Circus is of course most likely to voice a little Playing poopy. poopy. Yeah. But like mocap, like really true to life, like you would <laughs> you would swear that that was a real life poopy if you watched that movie. He researched for 9 months with proctologists. <laughs> Um, to understand the psychology. Yeah, he really, really, like, the ins and outs of that. It's It was one of the most breathtaking performances of 2006. And if the Academy were a more daring uh, voting body that would recognize not only traditional acting, but mocap acting, they would have recognized mm-hmm. Andy Serkis as the poopy in, uh, in Flushed Away. For sure. For sure. <laughs> We do not. We now have talked ourselves into the corner of needing to watch this movie together, Chris. We really have. Um, I, guess, I guess we can uh, make that happen. You know what else we need to make happen? I've I've said it before. I'll say it again. What? Andy Serkis as the future star of the Flora Plum movie, which will happen, <gasps> so that we can see uh, the circus at the circus. Okay. I see what you did there, and I'm very happy with it. Yeah. Okay. So, like, we'll keep making this joke. Does he play all the different circus creatures, or does he play the big top itself, which is like somehow uh, uh, animate? Like, what what are we doing here? What's or does he play just like all the parts, like the clumps? He just mocaps everybody <laughs> in Flora Plum. He is Flora Absolutely Plum. Absolutely everything. He also plays uh, Jodie Foster. So okay. For as much as I talk about Flora Plum and have talked about it throughout the years, I may be not as uh, up on who the characters. I should find a way to like read the Flora Plum script, like find somebody who knows. Somebody We've who knows tried somebody. to source this before. We can't get the script for Flora Plum. Reach out, but like, so Claire Danes is like a circus performer. Do we imagine like an, a trapeze artist or a something like an acrobat or something like that? Um, yeah, she parades around the grizzly bears or something like that, and then Russell Crowe owned the circus. Is this like a water for elephants kind of a thing? I don't know. Maybe I'm he sure. was an animal trainer, or he was the trapezist. Wow, Russell Crowe on a trapeze is. Uh, I'm trying. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, but this was like circa 2000. Uh, yeah, that's that. Uh, that's his most. Uh... All right, now I'm trying to find. Svelte? Wow. Did you know that there was an American film and television actress named Flora Plum, but with a B at the end of Plum? Mm. Who died in 2018? 
And she was in shows like Marcus Welby, MD, and The Mod Squad. I had no idea. So that... Maybe she sued. That's why the movie never happened. Maybe. Maybe that was hung up for years. Uh, yeah, died at the age of 73 in 2018. And now they can make Flora Plum now. It's weird that we don't want to talk about all the King's Men, Chris, that we've gone down this many tangents. I don't understand it. Why don't we want to talk about this compelling movie? I kind of can't express... It's not the worst movie we've ever done, but it's close. Because, like, I just can't kind of express the level of inertia and (laughs) incoherence, literally from scene to scene to scene, where you don't understand how the previous scene led into the next like a truly i thought we were gonna watch another boring movie like we did last week with live by night yeah where it would just be like the problem is the movie just isn't good but like no the problem is this movie has problems yeah that's not the most eloquent way to say that no but Um, you're right like that's sort of that's the bottom line is the problem is this movie has problems that is that's where we're at with this movie this and live by night back to back previously felt bad for steve zalian because he's done he's scripted all these major movies yes major directors a lot of like big studio product too yeah that like we've seen this type of transition before from you know really celebrated screenwriter um moving into directing yeah and like we've also seen it not work i would definitely argue for aaron sorkin in this uh scenario yeah um, yeah being an example of that um so like uh, but then when you watch the movie it's like no some people are just not directors um but again even though like uh, searching for bobby fisher searching for, yeah. is so fucking good like if you haven't listeners if you searching haven't seen for that bobby movie, fisher has way it. lower stakes than this does though but it's like, really visually so- compelling like those scenes where he's playing chess Outside, mm-hmm. out, out of doors with like Lawrence Fishburne and, and Ben Kingsley and whatnot. Like, there's there's a kinetic energy to those, and there's the just like the way you can watch like like the sweat on Lawrence Fishburne as he's like playing chess in those scenes or whatever. It's just like it's really well done beyond even just being like a really interesting story. It's a really well done film, and I can't really speak to a civil action because I definitely watched it, but I don't really remember a ton about it. Um, yeah. But like, and I mean, maybe, you know, some people have like that, you know, one, you know, film in them or whatever. But this does not speak super well for Steve Zellian as a director. You're right there. Yeah. I'm looking at the Wikipedia I mean, maybe page. Maybe it's just that it, this movie needed a more. What, Wikipedia page? No, no, no. Go ahead. You finish your thing first. I was just going to say maybe this movie needed a more limited scope than what it had to work on the level of like searching Bobby Fisher, searching for Bobby Fisher does. Yeah, I feel like if this movie is just based on the novel All the King's Men rather than remaking the Best Picture winner, there's maybe less of a feeling of obligation to, I don't know, live up to what it was. And you can maybe do different things with it or with the script or whatever. Um I was saying I'm looking at the Wikipedia page for the film right now, and one of the things it says is the film generated strong Oscar buzz and was considered a contender by Entertainment Weekly, but buzz is in scare quotes, which I think is very funny. Like, I feel like that's just... Uh, Somebody read one article, and that, but they like don't follow the Oscar race. This thing, this thing they call buzz, this thing, Oscar buzz, um, which, uh, you know, feels like a, an indictment of what we do. And you know what? Honestly, that's fine. 
Um, that's that's totally fine. We are we are not uncritical of uh, the whole. Uh, <laughs> no, we are not. Uh, what were the Hollywood Film Awards that this movie was nominated for? By the way, speaking of, it got the Producers Award, so it basically got the Best Picture of the Hollywood Film Awards, Yikes. which makes complete sense because like. Hollywood Film Awards, we've talked about this before, especially with, uh, I believe, Conviction. Almost all of their awards that they would give is movies that are sight unseen. Right. So this would have been like, congratulations to your publicist. Um, Be sure to thank them in your Hollywood Film Awards speech. Though, one smart thing they did, they did... um, I wonder when this would have happened, but... um, they did give Best Actor to Forrest Whitaker. So ah. to me, that says there were whisperings earlier than when the film premiered, I believe, at Telluride. Yeah. Because like when everybody saw that movie for Forrest Whitaker, it was like, he's absolutely winning this year. He was pretty much unchallenged the entire season. Um, right. But like to me, I remember that being like, the Philip Seymour Hoffman of Capote surprise of the year in that, like, it wasn't necessarily a movie that was on anybody's radar. Um, I'm going to take a minute to, to brag. actually seeing the movie. A year ahead of time, I had my eye on The Last King of Scotland because it was such a Kevin MacDonald fan from the documentary that he had made one day in September about the Munich Olympics. So I feel like I was, like, on that train early where I was just like, keep an eye on this. Kevin McDonald's very good. And Forrest Whitaker is a really good actor. So you are, you are uh, way better at uh, that uh, uh, sniffing things out uh, than I think uh, most of us are in. No, I will say in very rare and specific cherry picking occurrences. Yes. I will always remind you of my successes and never remind you of my many failures. So yeah. (laughs) You mean like the type of failures where the Hollywood film awards gave best director to Oliver Stone for world trade center. Yes. I mean exactly that. Wow. Were we ever so young as when we thought uh, World Trade Center was going to be a thing? Oh, dear. <laughs> that movie, it, we could do an episode on it, but it is like chicken oh, soup yeah. for the soul Don't 9-11 wanna. edition. Don't wanna. Um, anything else before we hop into the IMDb game? Uh, no, let's move into the IMDb game. Would you like to explain what that is to our listeners? Yeah, every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game, uh, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they're most known for. If any of those titles are television or voiceover work, we mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. And if that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. That's the IMDb game. In a nutshell. Uh, Joe, would you like to uh, give her guess first? I'll guess first. Okay, cool. Um, so, as listeners know, for the past several weeks, I've been trying to derail um, <laughs> Joe Reed's track record. He's been crushing it for the past, like... Two months. Initially, I was very excited for you because you got like a month's worth of perfect scores. But now I um, yeah, now you're mad. I, I like to be vindictive. Yeah. I am mad about it at this point. Yeah. It's, it's becoming a bit that you are good at this, and uh, I don't like it. No, you're definitely so, better than uh, me at this. this. Don't worry. <laughs> 
for this week, I went back into the other Steve's Alien-directed movies. I looked at the actually quite sizable ensemble of A Civil Action. Did I give you Oscar-nominated for that film, Robert Duvall? I did not. Did I give you the poster actor for that movie, John Travolta? I did not. I have given you uh, one, Mr. Uh, currently on uh, It's a Sin on HBO Max. If you guys haven't watched it, you should. He shows up for an episode or two. Stephen Fry. Oh. Wow. Stephen Fry. And there's no television. There is no television. All right. Oh, this is going to be very tough. Well, almost certainly Wild is on there. Wild is on there. Thank God. He was Globe nominated for that movie. Did yeah. that get any Oscar nominations? We could maybe do that movie. We could. We should look up. Look up and see if that got nominations. Um, I will look it up while you guess your second movie. Yeah. See, this is where... Because, like, Stephen Fry is a very recognizable face, but he's also in, like, a ton. Like, he just doesn't get lead roles. Oh, dear. And he's probably in, like, some, like, British crime stuff that, like, part of, like, a 12-person <laughs> ensemble. Like, I don't think he's in Kingsman, The Secret Service, but, like, he should be. He's one of those people. Um, Stephen Wild Fry. also starring uh, Jude Law. Um, Jude Law. In No Clothes, so... Yeah, he's Reason very, very movie. attractive in, in Wild. Um, all right. I need, I need to throw some guesses. Well, okay. Is a civil action one of them? A civil action is not one of them. Damn it. Okay. All right. Well, Okay. This is probably going to be another one, and I'll just get years. But he is, because he and um, Emma Thompson and Hugh Laurie were part of that uh, Footlights troupe in uh, England when they were all younger. And they were all in that movie Peter's Friends from the early 90s. So I'm going to guess that. just Which so I, I really want to see. It's pretty good. It's not great, but it's pretty good. Uh Peter's Friends is not yeah. the answer. Give me years. Your years are 2001, 2005, and 2005. Damn it. Okay, 2005. I will say you have absolutely seen all of these movies. Okay, well that helps. 2005 British movie. Because he doesn't really show up in like American movies. Um, 2005... He's not in any Harry Potter movies, and I actually don't think there is a Harry Potter movie in 2005. If he is in a Harry Potter movie, forgive me. Wait, is 2001 Gosford Park? It is Gosford Park. Yes, everybody. Gosford Park shows up for everybody. All right. It shows up for everybody. It used to curse me all the time. Now I'm going to try to find ways to curse you with Gosford Park. Yeah, okay. So you need two more 2005 movies. 2005 is not Stardust. Is 2005 Sherry? I'm going to guess Sherry. Is he in that? No, it's not Sherry. Um, these, both of these movies, one of them I'm surprised you haven't guessed it yet. He's probably third or fourth build in this movie. 
Um, they've both definitely shown up for other people's IMDb. Oh, he's in V for Vendetta. Is it V for Vendetta? V for Vendetta, yes. Okay, all right. All right, one more. One more also from 2005. British, maybe silly. Definitely silly. Definitely silly. 05. From a famous source material. Shaun of the Dead, which I don't even think he's in, but that's 04. From a famous source material. Oh! Yes. Is he in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? He is in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <gasps> he narrates it. Oh, yeah! All right. Well, that's a voiceover. And role. he's also billed <laughs> as The Guide. Um, he, That's hard. That was that was good. good job. Successfully good job uh, uh, giving me a tough one, Stephen Fry. Was Wilde nominated for any Oscars? It was not. We, we should do, do an episode on it. We should do it. It's a wonderful movie. All right. Good job. Well done. Knocking me off of my high horse. I chose for you someone I think uh, significantly easier than Stephen Fry, but uh, not without his challenges. I went into the other Stephen Zalian uh, directed film. I went into Searching for Bobby Fischer. One of the many great performances in that film is given by Mr. Ben Kingsley. Ah. So do Ben Kingsley. Love him. Yeah. Okay, um, Ben Kingsley. Here's the thing, for Oscar and him, I wouldn't be surprised if Sexy Beast was in there, but not Gandhi, but I'm still gonna say Gandhi. Gandhi, correct. Okay. Um, Hugo. What's that? Hugo. No, not Hugo. Hmm. He's really good at Hugo, a movie that I don't really care for. I remember very, very um, little about Hugo. I still think Sexy Beast is going to show up, so I'm going to say Sexy Beast. Sexy Beast, correct. Okay. And then... Uh, he is in the MCU. He does a lot of voice work, but you didn't say any voices. Yeah, no voices. He does a lot of science fiction. Just trying to think. Oh, um, uh, another movie that he is very good in and did not get uh, enough uh, love for it. I feel like still he's overlooked for this movie is Schindler's List on there. Correct. On both counts, he is very underrated and overlooked in Schindler's List. He's wonderful. Yes, that is on there. Cool. Um... Okay. I don't think House of Sand and Fog is going to be there. But I know that, like, there's other Oscar movies that he's done. Is... hmm. He's really good at Dave? Is it Dave? Dave showed up for somebody really weird one time. It's... It's not Dave. It's not Dave. Damn nope, it. that's your second strike. So your missing year is 2013. That's got to be Iron Man 3. It is. Iron Man 3. Very He's good. really funny in Iron Man 3. He is. He's incredibly funny in Iron Man 3. One of my favorite uh, MCU performances, single single film MCU performances ever. 
All right. I think that is our episode. If you guys want more of This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Uh, Joe, tell our listeners where they can find more of you. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. You can also find me on Letterboxd as Joe Reed, Reed spelled the same way. And you can find me on Twitter at Chris V. File, that's F-E-I-L, also on Letterboxd under the same name. We'd like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts, now including Spotify. Five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility, so please get out from behind that weird dining table veil and uh, make your thoughts visible to us all. Uh, that's all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more a fun. Fantastic journey home. There are things I want to do, sights I want to see. That's not one of them. Ah, hey! Faster, oh, you idiots! All right, boss. Keep your legs straight when you hit the water. I kept my legs straight, Spike. Oh. <laughs> Flushed away. I think I could learn to like this place.